Blog Talk Radio. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. This is Dr. O'Sullivan speaking, and you're listening to Holistic Veterinary Care or Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O. Um, I'm calling you from Holistic Veterinary Care and Acupuncture Center in Prescott Valley, Arizona. And today we have an extremely special guest and a wonderful topic. And I'm hoping that everyone listening will go ahead and join us in this conversation. Well, if you'd like to join the show, simply call 347 215 6138, press the number 1, and they'll get you right through to the show. You can also post your comments and your questions on listeners at sylviaglobal.com. And if you'd like, if you're on a podcast, you can post comments in the section on the podcast or on Sylvia Global Facebook page. So once again, please pick up your phone and call 347-215-6138 and join the conversation today. Um, we're very lucky today to have Jan Hansen, one of my friends um, from Las Vegas, joining us. Now, um, Jan is uh, not only my my friend, but also my massage therapy guru for my personal pets and my patients. And I thought that it would be amazing to have her on the show and share what she does because I know as a owner and a dog lover and a cat lover and a veterinarian and a alternative medicine veterinarian that her skill set can fill in the blanks where nobody else can. So good morning, Jan. Thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Now, um, you have, if you can tell our listeners just a little bit about what it is that you do in the arena of massage, because I know that you do so many other things for four-legged fuzzies. It's amazing. Um, (laughs) That would be uh, that would be a great place to start, and then I'll fill in some of my personal blanks here because, as you know, how important the work you you've done for me and my dogs, and uh, it's been invaluable. So take it take it, Jan. Tell the world. Um, okay, um, I'm my name is Jan Hansen. Um, I'm an animal massage therapist. Um, I I attended um, an animal massage class. Um, some years ago, probably, gosh, 12 years ago now, for a, a little rescue dog my husband found wandering out in the desert. Um, she was a, a sweet little dog, but she just didn't move right. Her, her, we took her in and found out that she had horrible arthritis in her spine. And I mean, she walked very stiff-legged, and her back never moved, and her tail couldn't wag. And you know, and I knew, you know, there's not much you could do, you know, with, you know, we, we'd give her the Rimadil and stuff. But she was a young dog, and I just really didn't didn't want her to be on medication, you know, for the next seven years or whatever. Um, and right. so I saw this class in the, it was like an adult education class, you know, just a fun educational class that was called uh-huh. Animal Massage for Pet Owners. And what you do is you went to the class with your animal that you were interested in helping, and they taught you techniques to do specifically for that animal and it was a two-day all-weekend course and I went and I learned things to do with little Lucky and then um, I went home after the class and worked with her every day for the next two weeks and at the end of that two weeks all of a sudden everything just kind of well it just everything just loosened up her her muscles along her spine were just woody hard you know when when before right. we started and then all of a sudden it just we reached that breakthrough point where those muscles just relaxed and they were flexible and she could walk more comfortably she could wag her tail she started playing with the other dogs which she had never done before and I, you know, I was just so astounded and so excited. <laughs> I said, you know, I need to go back to school to learn how to do this for all kinds of animals. So I did. Yeah. I went, and they had a. It was almost a one-year certification class that would that would teach me how to work with not just dogs but all kinds of animals. And I have worked, you know, I've, that was back in 2002, and since then I have worked with um, primarily dogs, but dogs, cats, horses, rabbits. I had a lady who had 11 wallabies. I've worked with 
birds and reptiles and I even I've even worked with a couple of wild animals with under the supervision of a wildlife biologist. So um, it has been a really an exciting career, and and it's just I'm very excited to tell people that you know this really works for animals, and it's it's a very exciting field. Uh, it, it does, and the thing is, it just it simply does work. And when uh, one of the the I guess one of the focuses of this show is to integrate what we do in veterinary medicine and to help people realize that there really is no um, barrier, there's no fence, there's no difference in the big picture between the benefits that humans get from things like massage therapy and the things that we can offer to our our non-human friends. And um, I would imagine that your training, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, had a lot to do with anatomy and you know, musculoskeletal and how all the parts are put together to make you um, um, more adept at what you do. Um, but can you kind of go over the training and that um, the information that they gave you with the non-human species about what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve on more than just my hands are on my dog type stuff? Right. Um, well, the, uh, you were absolutely right. We did go over all, you know, a comparative anatomy class. We start out with animals that we are familiar with, dogs and cats and horses, um, and and you know, we we compare, you know, their body their their body structure to what we're familiar with with our own bodies, and then uh-huh. you know, we we studied the differences, and then from there we went on to you know, to discussing chickens and, you know, you, we just pick an animal and then we research it and, you know, compare right. like ferrets with all the extra vertebrae that they have in their back. And, right. and, <laughs> and you know, it, 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 and then you realize, like you said, that, you know, even though, especially with mammals, um, the, the basic physiology or the basic anatomy structure is is similar but there are there are differences that are unique to them and whenever i would have an animal in my practice that i wasn't familiar with i would go ahead and and research their physical abilities and their their anatomy and then um and then i would go from there you know um right, but right. what's really exciting about about the animals is not only did we study their anatomy what was unique about this class is that um, and what I've learned a, a million times over with every animal I've ever worked with is that uh-huh. the animals, um, it's their central nervous system that's that's significant. Um, you know, the mammals, they have the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems, um, the uh-huh. ones that control, yeah. you know, the heart rate and the, you know, the automatic stuff. But then there's the emotional side as well. And that's where I think the massage therapy for me has really, has really shined. Um, I, I have found that it's massage therapy with animals isn't something you do to them it's something you do with them it's mm-hmm. and we spent a lot of time with studying more than well an equal amount with anatomy was the animal communication you know you you you, you consider things like is this animal a predator animal or a prey animal and you take right. these things into consideration as to, you know, how would I handle this animal? You know, if I approach it this way, is it going to perceive that as a threat? Or, you know, because animals are different. If you come over the head or come around from the side or approach them from the back, you know, all those things have to be taken into consideration. And that, to Very me, nice. was what I learned the most. Yeah, it was great. So, so and, we did and, that. And, 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 was it was it very interest was it interesting for you to learn these little nuances of you know because a mammal is not a mammal is not a mammal and a horse is not a cat is not a is not a chicken is not a horse is not a cow is not a you know that that there are so many nuances to the way that they uh, communicate with us the way they they interact with the world and their environment regardless of whether it's their natural environment or not but as you mentioned the emotional piece of trying to get the maximum benefit out of what you're doing just like with people if we're anxious we're you know kind of nervous or we're sad or those types of things that definitely impacts our ability to receive treatment or to convey our needs whether it's physical or um, like you say emotional um, that sometimes you know our animal friends do a darn fine job of masking things much more so than I've found that humans do um, sometimes. So can you address that emotional piece? Because I know that's a huge part of what you do uh, with every creature that you touch, and at least in my experience, and how you've chosen to use your time. 
Um, well, absolutely. It's it, it's the emotional part that I think is it has been the most powerful for me. Um, I, as I when I first began the program, I was really interested in 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 working with horses. I just you know I've always loved them, and I thought you know this would be a great a great opportunity because they're such emotional animals. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, and and I found that a lot of these animals, a lot of their problems, a lot of the things that they were, you know, that I was seeing in their bodies were the result of emotional reactions to what's going on. I mean, some of these animals had chronic stress, and the and uh-huh. you know, yes. and, and a yes. lot of the a lot of what I do is teaching the owners also how to read their animals. I mean, you know, you know how we are with our own pets. You know, you, oh yeah, they're really, hi, how are you? I missed you today, and you give them lots of pets. Let's go for a walk. Let's play. But you right. know, it you you sometimes need an outsider to look at the situation and study the animal, and and say, hey, did you notice that you know he's upset about this and and or you know and and a lot of times those things are overlooked. And yeah, with horses, yeah. for instance, I've had people where I've gone to their to their stable at home or at the barn and something, and here's this animal doing these compulsive type behaviors and or having really? injuries or whatever, and you know. It, and, and whenever the horse in the stall next to them would come out, you know, the horse's the ears would go up, the tail would be twitching, and he's looking over his shoulder. And it could be something as as simple as this horse doesn't like the horse next door. You know, can we switch? You know, move him to a different stall. Problem solved. You know, you work through right. the physical right. aspects of it, and then you know the horse is happy and well again. And and you know, and other stressors that people might not think about. You know, like with with a horse, perhaps that you know maybe the neighbor's dogs are running along the fence barking all the time. Well, you know, on right. on a very instinctual level, um, you know, the the dogs to a horse are wolves. You know, and there they are running yeah. back and forth along the fence. You know, that's a right. that's a chronic right. threat. You know, and the horse can't get away. He's in a pen. You know, <laughs> so right. it's it's sometimes it's it's emotional things like that that people tend to overlook. And yeah, and I, said, and I find that I I find that and I'm sometimes trying to even educate people on what is the what is the social format of this creature. Now, as you're talking yeah. about horses, my mind wants to cry because. Horses are herd animals. I mean, they, they belong in a social structure in a herd. That's what they were born yeah. to do, and it's part of who they are. It's the essence of who they are and how they relate to the world and each other, it's how they protect each other. It's, it's what they do. They're herd animals. And then we have a tendency to stick them in individual stalls or individual mm-hmm. paddocks and keep them away from their buddies and not let, you know, yeah. they, and treat, it, it would be the same as you and I keeping our dogs, in my opinion, in a crate 24 Absolutely. hours a day. Absolutely. Yep, and then the absolutely. idea that we get the idea that we get self mutilation, the idea that we get um, some other horrible ticking behaviors such as cribbing and other types of things uh, uh-huh. is not a huge surprise to me at all. And I, I you'll have to um, uh, uh, elaborate on that for me because I, I you know of course work with horses and such, but not in the capacity that you have and with the hands on. Um, uh, intimate relationship with the horses and approaching one that's been, in my opinion, just stuck in a crate and then overworked and then or, or whatever and then put back in a crate. Um, that kind of life you could imagine might grind on the nerves. So how would you approach a creature like that knowing what you know about who they were meant to be, how they're meant to socialize, and then the, the, the issue that you were brought there to address? Well, like I said, a lot of what I do sometimes is owner education. You know, these people think, oh, it's a horse. They live in stables. You know, they, they don't think <laughs> about, you know, sometimes what what really helps the animal the most is opening the eyes of the people who own them or care for them and, you know, and make them see that, you know, these are social animals or they're, you know, yeah. especially yeah. with horses, yeah. it's been my experience. Yeah. Yeah, um, animals are, you know, these animals were meant to move. You know, they they were meant, they were built to roam, you know, and yep. and if they're standing in a stall all day, yeah, they're going to have physical issues. I mean, if if we were, you know, we were meant to, 
to move as well you know and and it's it's you know people who don't move who sit in a chair all day or you know sit at a desk all day and don't get up and move you know they they develop physical problems too so part of the time it's you know first of all it's just go in and assess the situation you know see what i can see as an outsider you know and and right. give their people some perspective on what i do um see if we can make some environmental changes for that animal and then you know when when you can see that and you can see it especially with animals who are very emotional like horses um you can physically see them relax you know it's like yes. one of the things we always look for is the big sigh you know when they start to be content yep. And yep, and you yep, know so absolutely. and then you know I, I mean I could go into a stall and start working on an animal because his shoulders are tight or his back end or you know what or his neck especially with horses, but right. you know if if we don't remove the stressor you know I'm we're not going to really get anywhere. I mean I can I can help the animal you know temporarily, but the stress is going to make it return over and over. Um, mm-hmm. And and I found, of course, with dogs, it's the same way. You know, um, a lot of a lot of dogs. You know, dogs live outside, and and fortunately, that that view is changing a lot, especially in the urban situations. You know, they they realize that you know dogs can't be left out in the yard. They're pack animals, and they want to be with the pack. You know, we are their pack, right. and you know they they want to be with their people. And uh, you know, sometimes. Part of the problem is, you know, the dogs don't get enough interaction. Again, they need exercise as well, you know, and, and yeah, they're not getting yeah. enough exercise or, you know, and, and, you know, good nutrition and all these things that, you know, sometimes that you have to you have to address the source of the problem before you can actually work out the physical problems. So, <laughs> so, so being, being a master in massage is really kind of a limited limited title, isn't it? Because it, it's a holistic picture is what you bring to your patient and the patient's person. I mean, you re- really you look at it in, in a holistic way. How how are we going to help this creature in every venue of its life, and how are we going to better educate the responsible party in this case, which is the human, of course, and right. to, to better help and better take care of these guys. Because as we've discussed many times, and we're the ones who are ultimately responsible. Because unfortunately, they don't have any choices. You know, they Absolutely. just don't. We we make their choices for them. So, what what it is that you do on so many um, so many different avenues of your education, we haven't even yet touched on you touching an animal yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, and you into the stall. Well, and yeah, and that's and that was one of the points I wanted to make. It's because, like I said, it's not something I do to them. I do with them. You know, I have to establish a relationship with this animal, and you know, of trust. They need to trust uh-huh. that I'm not going to hurt them, that I'm not going to threaten them in any way, because I'm going to be touching them in ways that they may not be used to. You know, and and so I have to get their permission to work with them. And it's just, you know, okay, this is how this animal communicates. Watch the ears, watch the tail, watch, you know, the head movements, and, you know, mm-hmm. I have to be comfortable that this animal is comfortable with me. And sometimes the answer is no. The animal doesn't want any part of it. And while it hasn't happened very often, you know, when it does, you know, even sometimes if it's an animal I've worked with a long, for a long time, sometimes they're just not in the mood. And, you know, right, hey, right. we'll reschedule. You know, I, I'd rather that they, you know, they're not going to benefit from it if they're trying to walk away or fighting it, you know, like, nope, I'm not in the mood for this today. But right. I know that sounds really strange to humans because if somebody says, hey, would you like a massage today? We're, we're down, you know. <laughs> we're, That's we're like, oh, where, where, where do I lay down? Yeah, exactly. I get that in my practice as well. Sometimes, sometimes my patients just aren't into it or they've got something else going on or they've got something new coming up. Who, who knows? But if they're yeah. not going to participate or they don't want to and their body language says no for, you know, for what everyone does here, but with me with the needles and such, there's really no reason to fight a positive chi yes. flow. You know, we're trying to move energy. Yes, we're trying to we're trying to open up stagnation. We're trying to do a hundred things to make these guys feel better. And the thing right. is, if they're just saying, I'm not, I'm not with you today, or yeah. if it pushes things in the wrong direction, like they stiffen up, they tighten up, they get more irritated, yeah. they get more of this because I really don't want to do this today. It just causes a negative chi flow or a negative result, or or even longer term consequences. And nothing horrible, just you know that, that 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 didn't feel right today, or that I don't want to go back there, or you know those types of things. So I can I completely understand what you're saying. Sometimes you just send them home, or you just tell the owners, you know what, just take them out for a walk, 
get some fresh air, get some exercise, play with them, love them, blow bubbles for them, do something. And then when they yeah. feel better, come back. But I completely exactly. hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love it. Um, now, do you have in your, um, for our listeners here, do you, are there any limits with regard to age, be it young, be it older, be it, you know, um, debilitated? And you were talking about um, your little lucky there being a younger dog and having arthritis and those types of things. Is there any case that you will not approach or that you think may not benefit from what it is that you can do with massage? Um, it, I always take it on an individual basis. Overall, um, there is no age limitation to the benefits of massage. Um, it's, it's great for young animals, like for puppies, for a wellness type of a situation. Um, when you think about, you know, a puppy, you know, when, when a puppy's born, the first thing the mother do- dog does to it, she turns over and she licks on it, you know. So that's touch, you know. They, they understand touch perfectly um, and she cleans she cleans the dog up but it also stimulates the pup to breathe and it stimulates it to nurse and it it ultimately it stimulates it to bond with the mother and through right. massage you know if you if you, you know, and i always teach my clients things that they can do for their animals you know when between our visits and things and you know with a puppy if you're going to massage it and you know and continue this this bonding that that it would create with the animal it's going to be so much easier to train that pup and they're going to you know they're going to respond to you and it's you know and and they're going to they're going to love you i mean they're you know they're going to consider you're their other mother you know and right. and so it, it's going to be especially from a training point of view it's it's wonderful you know um and as my practice has evolved um it it really evolved to work work to where i work the majority with senior dogs and of course, uh-huh. those with yes. emotional problems and stuff, and we'll, we can maybe talk about that later. But since you asked Definitely. about the age, you know, a lot of older dogs, of course, have their orthopedic problems, arthritis, and 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 things, um, and it, things that restrict their mobility, and and they have balance issues. Um, sometimes they can have, you know, their GI tract gets a little sensitive, and and right. massage can help with all of those things, you know. Um, so, so no, I, 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 like I said, I would take it on an individual basis. There are instances when you would not want to do a massage, and or if it's questionable, I always refer them to their veterinarian. You know, say, hey, right. this is what I would like to do. This, you know, and this is the goal, and this, these are the things that I feel. Check with your vet. If it's okay with him, you know, let me know, and then we'll go from there. You know, so, um, but. But no, I you know I work with I have worked with some animals after surgery, um, you know, right. just for not not re, well as a form of rehabilitation. But you know, I'm not a, a rehab specialist. But you know, after surgery, you know, their their mobility might be limited. Or um, again, there are there are stretching things and you know if if a dog's had had surgery you know you want to keep the joint especially like if it was a knee or something you want to be able to flex an ex joint so that you know that the the scar tissue doesn't heal all tight and contracted so that it will limit so that it wouldn't limit their ability to move you know after the wound itself is healed right so, you made a, you made a really good point about um even even with these, you know, of course, with these knees and with these, you know, joints you're talking about, you know, I have a soft spot for <clears throat> stuff I've been doing personally and I practice with knees. Um, but you made a point about talking to the uh, veterinarian, talking to the primary practitioner for the, you know, mm-hmm. care and medical care of the, your patient there, your, your friend, because mm-hmm. we, in my opinion, we all want to act as a team for the better, right. for the best possible results for our, our, our friend. Um, and that sometimes when you're talking about, like, let's say doing a knee or doing a surgery or doing this or doing that, making sure that we discuss um, the surgical procedure and the time frame in which you would want to start doing anything that even snacks of rehab whatsoever, um, right. it's very important that a surgeon or the practitioner or the person that provided that surgical procedure be in on the decision and make the primary Date, you know, like two day, four day, two week, whatever, based on their Absolutely. Um, right. comfort level for the work that they did, and then the massage piece of it would just, you know, whether it's just an elaborate petting. I don't mean to minimize what you're doing, but massaging of, of um, you know, one of our friends after they come out of surgery doesn't necessarily have to go 
towards a rehab purpose. It can just be to get your hands on them, just like you're getting your hands on your puppy, just to bond, just to relieve, just to make sure that they know that you're, you know, there, you're there. And so those massage techniques, I would imagine, can be used for so many goals for the same patient based on the team effort. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. I like that. That's a very good point um, that you made about making sure that if it's questionable at all, you make sure that we talk to the primary caregivers and that we develop a team mentality for the long-term well-being of our friends. Because um, yeah. now with with with, um, with your practice, when you start on these guys, um, do you find that sometimes it takes a bit of time for them to realize what the heck you're doing? You know, because if they've never had massage before. Um, they sometimes, I find with what I do, they kind of look, you, you have to take a real slow roll towards them and figure, yes. and after a couple of sessions, they just go, ugh, and they they come into the office and they lay down and they uh-huh. kind of point out to you where they want you to start. It's like, ooh, today can you stick a needle right over there, please? But Oh, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, no, in a, in a society where yeah. we're looking for, in a society where we're kind of looking for immediate results or that, you know, it, it's a pill, and now, you know, take one of these and call me in the morning. I think what we do is quite different than that. It's a process. You know, it's yeah. what we have to commit to it a bit. Can you elaborate on that for us? Um, well, sure. Um, when um, sometimes when you you know, when I go in to see a, a client for the first time, and and I, you know, I I go in and I introduce myself to the dog, and we start with really long, low, relaxing, flowing strokes, so that you know the dog is comfortable. I like you know it's it's not the kind of situation where you know I in. First of all, I go to where the animals are. Um, I don't have yes. a central location where they come to me. The animals, I like I said, I need preparation to do what I need to do, and they're going to be more co- the most comfortable and give me the most amount of cooperation if they're in their own environment. And some, right. sometimes the parents want to the parents, <laughs> the dog parents, <laughs> cat parents, you know, they want to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> they just, okay, here, I'll go in the other room. Uh, no, 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 I need you right here, you know. Some dogs are fine with it, but the majority of them, no, I don't know this person and she's touching me and you're going to leave me alone with her, that's not going to work, you know. Right. So the people, you know, I, I encourage them to just come if they want to sit on the floor or, you know, and, and 99% of the time I'm on the floor with these guys, you know, and, and you know, that's because that's where they, <laughs> oh. if they, if they sleep on the bed or if they sleep on the couch, you know, wherever they want to be is where I'm going to work. And I right. like to have mom or dad right there so that the animal's reassured, like, hey, this is okay. It's okay for her to be doing this, you know. And like I said, I start with slow, relaxing, comforting, just basically from the head to the tail, just a long flowing stroke, just to help the animal relax. And, you know, some of the animals relax right away. You know, some of you know, it just depends on the animal. They're all individuals, just like we are. And some people, you know, people, some, some people never get massages because I don't like strangers to touch me, you know. And, uh-huh. and animals uh-huh. are like that too, you know. So, right. you know, the first session often is just, get to know you, you know, get to know me, know that, hey, this isn't, this isn't too bad, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, but okay. So then the next time, you know, we start out with the same type of a routine, oh, yeah, I remember this, and, and they relax quicker, and then I can do a few more things. And you, generally with a cautious animal, the third time is the charm. The third time you come in and this, oh, this is great, and that's usually when I get the big sigh, you know, okay, big go sigh. ahead, do what. Do whatever you want to do. That's that's our little litmus test there. When you get that big sigh, you're, you're golden. You know, you're, you can do yeah. whatever. They're going to let you do whatever you want to do. So I love that, you know. And um, <laughs> but but again, you know, animals are individuals. Sometimes I get that in the first five minutes. You know, um, a real challenge are the the animals who have the emotional problems because maybe they've been abused or neglected or you know who knows what's happened to some of these rescues. You know, and and sometimes it takes them you know a long time. Others, you know, they have been waiting so long to be relieved of this stress, and they want to bond with people, and they want to establish that trust so badly yeah. that that they just, within 10 minutes, they just, it's like they collapse. I had one, a, a German shepherd recently that in rescue that was just so incredibly stressed out. I mean, she was, she was losing weight. They couldn't feed her enough food. She was just, she was just a basket case. And, and, and you know, within, within 10 minutes, 
you know, at first she wouldn't stand, she would just stood there, stiff as a board. You know, she wouldn't sit, uh-huh. she wouldn't lie down. Um, within 10 minutes, she was sitting. Another five minutes, she was lying down. Five minutes after that, her head was in my lap, and she yeah. fell asleep. And it's rare for an animal, uh-huh. for me, to have them actually fall asleep. But, you know, she wanted it so bad, you know. And, you know, she went from, you know, when she they'd bring her out of the kennel from trying to hide behind bookshelves or potted plants and stuff, She'd just come trotting out into that waiting room. Oh, she's here! And, you know, she'd throw herself on the floor, waiting for her massage. You know, so so it's yeah, it's it's a very powerful tool, and and I think it's you know, like I said, you just approach each animal as an individual. But if if there's any concern on the animal's part, usually third time is a charm. After the third visit, it's we're we're good to go. Good. Now, you've mentioned a couple times about, you know, the emotional piece of it, absolutely, but the word rescue comes in quite a bit. And you know that I'm a huge, huge advocate, and, you know, big part of the, the majority of my heart is in it. Um, and that along with the rescue piece, which I'd love for you to elaborate on, and then the emotional uh, stuff that goes along with that and how you're able to address that, I also want to discuss the um, idea that when people get animals from let's say a shelter or from a rescue or from um, even a private owner or um, ugh, I hate to even say it but God forbid a, a pet store that yeah. sometimes they expect uh, them to be the dogs that, that are perfect, the dogs that are you know well adjusted, well this, well that and that we want kind of immediate results. Now all of these situations to where you get a new um, four-legged fuzzy into your life come with their own baggage just like all of us and that that the idea that that perfection is going to happen in any kind ever or in any kind of time course is definitely impacted by what our friends go through before they get to us and hopefully they get to us for a safe lifetime home but you do such amazing work and you 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 get into the trenches and do some stuff that that to be honest with you makes me cry um, with our <laughs> Me too. Senior, our, I know, I know, I know. Our senior friends, our shelter friends, our rescue friends, our friends that have been through things that we would rather not think about in my case, but we we, we need to. We need to deal with it. We need to address it. So although many people may think about massage therapy as being primarily physical, which it is, absolutely, absolutely, I would just like... Uh, if you could take a couple minutes to touch on the emotional piece of it, especially with the the you know your seniors and our rescues and those kind of um, uh, or, uh, situations that people may not think about with time, because I think that's really important that that we bring those things to light. Oh, sure. Um, and and like I said earlier about you know a lot of it is is owner awareness. You know it, it you a lot of people who who take in a, a rescue dog. You know the, uh, most of them now because it's you know it, it's gaining popularity so to speak. I mean more people are aware that there are so many dogs that need homes. You know why. You know, it's really not necessary to go to a breeder to get a specific purebred dog or, you know, because 40% of the dogs in shelters are purebred and they're just, they've right. just been misunderstood, you know, and, and, and I think, I think people need to, to do their research before they adopt a dog, not adopt it just because it's cute, but because the animal, you know, because they, they want to make a commitment to this animal who's been misunderstood and, you know, abused or, you know, or whatever, you know, all along. Right. Just, up to someone's expectations and and that's another problem I see a lot with the rescues well you know we adopted him and you see these animals who are adopted and returned and adopted and returned and and people uh-huh. don't understand that you know the one thing that animals um, really really that's that's really important to them is stability in their lives they like yep. routines they don't like change you know and and here's this or poor animal well you know he's he he got bigger than i thought he would you know well okay he's a german shepherd how big did you think he was going to get <laughs> or how small did you think he was going to stay but i mean i i have i worked with a dog one time who was an american standard bulldog and uh-huh. a gorgeous animal but the people didn't want him to get so big, so they kept him in a small crate, thinking that yep. would keep him from growing so big. And this oh, dog ended up so so crippled. You know, it, it was it was horrifying. 
So, you know, it's a lot, sometimes it's it's people who need to understand that, you know, if you're going to get this dog, you're going to commit to him for whoever he is, you know, because he's never going to be Fifi that you had before. You know, he's an individual in his own right and deserves to be loved and cared for for who he is. So, right, right. Um, and that's, yeah. what they give, that's what they give us every single day. You know, every time it interacts we have, they just love us for who we are. Uh, yeah. That we need to be able to, we need to, we need to return that. You made a good point about the breeds. If people want a specific breed of dog for whatever reason, it's important that people know that there are breed-specific rescues out there. You know, so you yeah. can go and search. And if you're really stuck on a certain breed, go to breed rescue. They're going to have that kind of dog that need help because they've either been, you know, been in a situation where people have, you know, either returned them or unadoptables or, you know, many, many different reasons. But doing your due diligence and looking for a breed-specific rescue, if you're looking for a specific breed, I would highly, highly encourage that. You know, save, save a life. You know, just save yeah. a life and, you know, do good work, you know. so But I, I find that people don't know. They just don't know. It's not like... It's not like there's any ill will or it's not like there's any malice. They simply don't know that, first of all, sometimes with those rescues, that some people think it's just that shelters, you know, the animal shelters. That there are specific um, rescues that get these animals out of bad situations and help to rehab them to go to a forever home. But right. people that want specific breed, for whatever reason, you also have those available to you to make your choices and still, you know, help somebody that needs help and save a life. So um, I just wanted to point that out, um, that yeah. that some, some people, sometimes people just don't know that those things exist. Sure. And, and, uh, it, they sure as heck do, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. I work with do. them all the time, and it's, it's wonderful. So, but, but yeah, and, and like you say, you know, many rescue dogs do come with baggage. Some of them don't. I mean, you know, we see with this economy the way it is, you know, so many people, I have to move and I can't take the dog with me. With, you know, and, okay, maybe in some situations that's true. I think that's a crutch for a lot of people because they just don't want to be bothered or it's going to be a little more hard. But, you know, my husband was in the military for a 20-year career, and we always had dogs. And, you know, it, we never questioned that, well, gee, maybe it would be easier if we got rid of the dog. No way. You know, they were family. They were coming along, you know. But, you know, like I said, you know, it's animals crave routine, and they don't like disruptions and, you know, it. And and you can imagine, you know, if they've lived with this family all their their lives, like you see, we were talking about senior dogs earlier. Here's this yep, dog who, yep, yep. you know, left with, lived with this family since he was eight weeks old, or and and then all of a sudden, you know, well, the kids are older and they don't have much time to play with him anymore, or he's older and he doesn't play with the kids anymore. So let's get rid of him and get a new one. Well, you know, well, here's this dog who has devoted his entire life to these people. And then all of a sudden he finds himself in a noisy, scary, stinky shelter where, you know, and he's terrified, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. some of these animals, you know, they're, they're confused and they're very distressed. It's a highly stressful environment, even the best ones, you know, it's, it's just different. They can be right. fearful, they can withdraw, they, can, they definitely get depressed and agitated. Some dogs even get aggressive. You know, yeah. and it's just they're and and some of them also learn from the other animals in in you know their, however the other dogs are acting. Gee, maybe if I run along, you know, bark at the at the gate, you know, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do here. You know, and yeah. um, it's you know yeah. it, it's yeah, it is. It's, it's sad, but that is something that is a lot of what I used to, what I what I have done here. I started out with rescue. Um, volunteering over at the Nevada SPCA here, and it's it's, uh-huh. it's our only no-kill shelter, and and they're you know they do a great job over there, but you know there are so many animals, and so you know there's only so much time you know the staff has for them. They don't have a lot of time with you know for one-on-one with these animals, and right. I wanted to go in there and you know show me the one that's shut, down, show me the one that hides in the corner of the run and won't come to the you know to to meet people or. You know the ones who have physical problems. You know, so so many of the sometimes. You know, when I work with some rescue animals, you know, they've got physical issues that no one has even discovered yet. You know, they haven't been right. groomed. Their hair is matted, and you know, here's the, here's a dog full of memory tumors, and nobody even knows they're there. You know, until I can right. get my hands on them, or someone does. You know, so. Um, 
but but um, I've had just such amazing results with the you know with the emotional problems that some of the some of the shelter animals have that that that's really the primary focus of my practice now is with the rescues. Um, Good for you. Good for you. Oh, I just I just love it to just to see this animal just be being afraid of everyone, turn around and and trust people again, and you know be be eager to meet someone and looking for a new home. It's 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 the most rewarding work I've ever done. So right, right. Great. And the thing is, I, I I know from experience that being able to like you said, whether it's the mammary tumor or the arthritis or the teeth or the whatever, sometimes just having your hands on them or almost every time, you're able to find, detect things that are physical problems and that in some cases helping these animals get those physical problems addressed or corrected yeah. or, or um, yeah, addressed, let's, let's, let's leave it there, mm-hmm. is so valuable because that in and of itself can improve, first of all, its quality of life, second of all, its adoptability, third of all, its exposure, so many things versus sitting in a corner not having any physical interactions you know yeah. so the, yeah. the ability to to help them in so many different ways or you know it turns ways it turns out is that they help us <laughs> in so many yeah different oh ways. yeah 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 well and and one one more thing about the rescue animals um when when i when i attend like the western veterinary conference and different mm-hmm. different venues for continuing education i all, always attend some of the behavior classes you know just see if i can pick up another little nugget that i can have you know from the animal behaviorist you know just to add to my little arsenal working with these rescue dogs right and it was really <laughs> interesting when i would talk to them you know between lectures or ask questions and that you know i would tell them what I, I did, you know, and, you know, in the beginning, you know, the, the first few years I was in practice, I'd get a lot of the eye rolling, you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, you're going to massage these guys and that's going to help. And it's just so, so exciting now to see that they do have statistical evidence that massage provides for animals the same sort of physical relaxation and, you know, just the, the the endorphin release and everything that, you know, we've been telling them all along, you know, these animals are responding in this same way. And now that yeah. they, have, they have clinical studies that prove, yes, we can affect them on a hormonal level, you know, that, that is going to help these animals relax and heal and... And, and that's really exciting. And as far as the shelter animals, um, about two years ago, I read a doctoral dissertation from an animal behaviorist um, who, whose whole thesis was, was, or her whole doctoral dissertation was done about rescue animals. And, and the, the, the gist of it was that if someone can get their hands on an animal within 24 hours of that animal coming into the shelter system, not necessarily uh-huh. massage therapy, but just sitting down for, you know, just give them one hour of quiet one-on-one time, um, just even just sitting with them, just petting with them, just being with them, that animal will will to the shelter system much more readily. Um, they will um, they will be more adoptable. They will be more sociable. They will be less stressed. And and that was just an amazing piece of work. I just I was so excited to see that. And powerful. of course, it's powerful. That's powerful oh, stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so, the idea that when these guys you know get whatever you want to call it dropped off, that that yeah. sense of complete abandonment that comes yeah. with that you know is I can't I can't even I can't even fathom it. But the yeah. idea that somebody actually wrote, you know, spent the time, did the paper, and felt it in their heart enough to actually turn it in for a grade mm-hmm. and letters behind their name, you know, successful yeah. career and those types of things, based on that information and what you were saying about having the benefits of massage be documented in the Western world. You know, when you're yeah. saying that there's research this and research that, it's it's often funny for me because, you know, I did, as you know, hardcore Western medicine for quite some time, and then before uh-huh. I switched over here to the dark side. Um, uh-huh. that it, <laughs> no, it, the it, light it, side. <laughs> the light side, not the dark side. It's really me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just so inherent in us that, well, why, if it works so well for me and I'll pay people money to do it for me so I just feel feel great, you know, to get the stress out, all the reasons that humans pay other people to do uh-huh. this, to make them feel better and their family feel better, the idea that that doesn't translate and cross the bridge over to non-human species yeah. for that same benefit, it, it's, uh, it's a nice 
it's a it's a nice opening. It's a nice uh, yeah. revelation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're you're yeah. getting a little bit better reception at the Western State. <laughs> That's oh, very, you know, very. Oh, in nice. fact, the the last conference I went to, I went to a couple of the behaviorists, and and they were addressing aggression and specific problems with different animals. But it was uh-huh. really fun. I almost stood up and cheered as when you know they every <laughs> one of the of the lecturers said, okay, we we treated this dog with Prozac or whatever, but we also prescribed massage therapy. And I was yeah. just elated. Yeah. I was like, yes, we have arrived. Because <laughs> you're right, people well, just the, don't, the, yeah. They don't yeah, see in the, the in connection. The Western, they, in the Western side, you know, with prescribing something, it is actually a modality, the same as handing you a pill. It's a modality of treatment that gets prescribed as a tool on the Western yeah. side as well as on the traditional side. Now, um, have you felt that when you're dealing with veterinarians at this point? And how about your integration of what you do into traditional as well as alternative medicine? Do you feel that that um, is getting better or better accepted by the public, you know, by the dog owners, by the oh, cat owners, absolutely. by the horse owners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I first started out in, well, I think I, think I said 2002, um, there were quite a bit of resistance in in the veterinary community it's like ugh, massage you know and then we get the eye rolling and stuff and, right. and I had I had one we had one vet in fact who locally who said massage he said they didn't teach any of that in veterinary school I said well I said my orthopedic surgeon didn't learn it in his training either I said but he sure prescribes it for all of his surgical patients and he looked at Good me like back. Good laughed <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what, so if he's not on board, maybe someone else will, you know. But ultimately, right. I ended up working with one of his clients, and um, and he didn't know it was me, you know. He just knew that, you know, the <laughs> client told him that he was, you know, the dog was getting massage therapy, and she took him back, you know, two or three weeks later, and he didn't recognize it as the same dog. He said, hey, whatever that gal's doing, Keep it up, you know. Keep it up. <laughs> so, Keep it up. That's so right. I was like, okay, yeah. And and now, you know, and 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 over the years, you know, because the public learns more about it, you know, they're right. demanding it now. You know, they they know that it works. You know, they've seen it. And in fact, my whole practice is all on referrals. I don't advertise at all. You know, it's people. Right. Right. You know, they see the the benefit to their animals, and they tell other people, and then you know, and they call and. You know, it's it's it, it. I think it's public demand now, and and I I routinely get get referrals from other vets, and and I've had requests for them to for me to work on their own dogs and cats. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. Yeah. Or or I come come into the hospital with the case. I can remember a couple of cases in my past there where mm-hmm. asking if you could just come in while this dog's recovering from something still in the hospital because that dog sure. was used to having the massage, used to having the hands-on, and it's a very comforting, very soothing, yeah. very relieving uh, treatment modality yes. for this friend. So, you know, yeah. I'm just calling you in to the places where the dog needs you versus vice versa, you know, so yeah. that, that's always wonderful. Now, I have, a, and I have um, uh, another topic that I want to broach with you. Um, with what I do, when I put holistic in front of my veterinary care um, hospital, you know, clinic here, I often get people that say, well, are you a real doctor, you know, and or, you know, I just kind of, well, I'm going to go see my real doctor and those types of things to where I think sometimes when you put like holistic in front of something or a modality that's not stridently um, accepted by the Western medical um, arena, that people think that you are just somebody that likes to play with dogs. And honestly, sometimes that's what I get. So for for me, it's very valuable to have the letters behind my name and the training that I have and those types of things, and that I don't take kindly at all to people that do things that are absolutely medical treatments for non-human species. So practicing veterinary medicine without a license is unacceptable as far as I'm concerned, and I consider veterinary medicine to be the things that you do, to be the things that I do with regard to whether it's the food management, the herbals, for me the acupuncture, for you the massage, for the the different modalities and that you've gone to great lengths to get extremely good training, extremely good um, experience, continuing education and to continue to improve what you do in a very um, educated way. 
And yeah. what are your thoughts about, do you run across folks that offer the services that you offer that maybe don't have as much time or um, credentialing as you do? And I'd like to discuss that because it's very important to me to make sure that people know what they're asking for, make sure people know what they're getting into, and the importance of knowing what the heck you're doing when you put your hands on. Absolutely, and that's, I'm really glad you brought that up um, because we see a lot of that um, with, with human massage therapists. And you know, one of my really good friends is my own massage therapist, you know, and, and they do amazing work. But they're, but I, and I know that some of the massage schools will have a little, you know, a two or three hour class, you know, how to massage a dog or something. And, you know, and then a human practitioner can go take this class and then come out and, oh, I think it'd be really fun to massage a dog, you know, or whatever. Right. But right. I think right. a two hour, even a weekend class, you know, is doing a real disservice to the animals if that person is primarily, is, is certified as a human massage therapist. Because, you know, they don't understand the communication thing emotional attachment and, you know, just the, the origin of the animal because all of that, like, like I mentioned before, predator or prey, you know, de- depending on, you know, what that, you know, the way that animal evolved, it's going to matter how you approach that animal, how you touch that animal and that, and you just can't really address that in a, you know, in a, in a class on a weekend on a Saturday afternoon, you know, and, right. and yeah, it is, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's just amazing fun work, but if people are looking for a massage animal or a massage therapist for their animal, um, they really need to find someone who is trained to work specifically with animals. I, it's like I wouldn't go out and attempt to massage a human being because I'm not trained for that, you know. I mean, I know a lot of the physical, you know, hand movements and things are, are the same in many instances, but um, it's, you know, there, there's a different connection. You can ask a human being, you know, is this enough pressure? Is this too much pressure or too little? Or, you know, does right. this hurt or where does it hurt? Um, you have to be able with an animal because they can't tell you. You have to be able to look at them and read their body language, which, you know, when I work with an animal, I never stop looking at them because right. the signals can right. change in an instant. You know, a person can say, ouch, hey, that hurts right there. That's, you know, that trigger point, that, that you know, that's where it's, that it's coming from. You have to be able, when you're working with an animal, watch them and watch for the signs that, gee, there's the hot spot, you know. Right, <laughs> that's, right. You know, that's, right. Yeah, that's going to, you know, you you can get yourself kicked or bitten or scratched or you know whatever and i've never had an animal injure me in any way you know they've wow. you know, because you, you have to pay attention you know and 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 i i think that's it's just respect respect for that animal you know so and there are there are several programs out there i think um uh, you know, and I, I don't, you know, I can't plug one over another, but, you know, there are very good, respected programs out there for, for massage training for animals. And Where if, would if somebody want to look? Where would, if uh, somebody were looking, like, uh, you know, they're online or whatever, what are they looking for with regard to the training or licensing or credentialing or, you know, are there letters that come behind a name or a certificate or is there, do you, are we looking for some kind of school that has like a name, you know, because, you know, sometimes, like you said, it can be like the two-hour massage, dog massage piece of the human massage. Yeah. But is there something that we can tell our listening audience to um, be aware of or to look for when they're searching for somebody that does what you do? Well, unfortunately, there are no national standards, and within some states, there are not even any, you know, regulated standards. You have to reach this this certain level of academic level, or you know, you have to take this certification course, or or guidelines. You know, you have to have a, a class that's had so many hours of anatomy, or so many hours of, you know, whatever. You know, um, and and. It, I think one of the th- people just need to do their homework when they contact someone who advertises themselves as an animal massage therapist. You need to ask about their credentials. Well, where did you go to school, and and what did your training involve? And and mm-hmm. um, just uh, some of them have evolved. Um, equine massage was the very first, you know, for horses was the very first massage that was even tried, I think it was back in the 1950s, for the the horses who were on the Olympic team. They started using massage therapists for those. And then they Uh gradually evolved 
using you know these programs just specifically for animals and they kind of many of them have evolved from that um, but you know there and and like I said there are no national standards at this point because it's a relatively new field you know I had never heard of it ten years ago you know and right. um, but right. as long as you do your homework um, lots of times a person like you a, a holistic veterinarian um, is a good place to to start you know like that's a good you, idea you, that's, that's a good yeah, idea yeah ask your veterinarian if they have a a, a professional that that does this for the animals. Um, so um, that would probably be the best place to start. Just just do your homework. You know, find out from these people where where did you get your training? Because, like I said, otherwise you're doing a disservice to that animal. You know, he's not getting yeah. the benefit, and and I, I suppose maybe in some ways it could even do the animal some harm. You know, just not knowing. You know, from an emotional standpoint, you know where that animal is coming from. Yeah, especially especially if we have unrealistic expectations of what they should or shouldn't do, or if they sit still or just sit still or do this or do that, you know, that's yeah. just not the way that they work. Certainly not the way that we approach them. Certainly not the way we're going to get benefit from any, anything yeah. that you or I or any of us do. So that's uh, that's a really good point. Now um, you have you you've worked with veterinarians quite a bit. Do you think mm-hmm. a fair thing to do is, like you said, have when you look for uh, somebody that's doing massage? to ask for veterinary credentials? You know, like, do you have any veterinarians you work with if you wanted to ask questions of those veterinarians? Or um, maybe, I found that in my practice, the word of mouth, just like yours, seemingly is very powerful. And to be honest with you, people that, um, for me, sometimes if we meet in the park, they're like, oh, you know, who does your dog go see? Or, oh, your dog looks better today, or those types of things. So that kind of word of mouth is very nice as well, just saying, oh, this is who I go to see, or this is what they've done. And you're, that proof is in the pudding, you know. So when when your patients start to feel better, when your friends start to look better, when they start to do joyful things that they haven't done, and who knows when, and people notice that, I think that that's, yeah, that's the thing that tells us that we're doing a good job and that it's not us, it, it, it's our, the, the work. It's the animal being happier or being, you know, having to be successful. And then that's kind of how word spreads based on the results of what it is that we do. But yeah. your point about making sure that people that say that they do this have got the training, have got the licensing, have got the experience, have got, you know, just so that we make sure that your profession and, you know, your your credentials stay in high regard that we don't uh-huh. have, you know that there's not anybody just saying oh I can do this for your dog and then and then sometimes it, it kind of you know it kind of jades things it kind of you know messes up the reputation of the service and it's just so right. so valuable so valuable um, well and like I mentioned earlier there are instances when a massage is contraindicated and a lot of people don't understand that well here 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 he is you just hold on to his collar and he's trying to get up and go away and no just hold him here it's like well no that's that's exactly the wrong thing to do I mean there may be you know like like I said after surgery or something like that I would never put my hands on an animal um, without the vet's permission you know even in the very beginning when they've still got bandages and 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 incisions you know, sometimes a very gentle, you know, maybe just head and neck massage just to help them relax will help with pain right. relief. But I need the vet to know what's going on. You know, if, if the dog has cancer, you know, who knows? If I'm doing this full-body massage, I could be moving cancer cells all throughout that animal's That's body. Right. That's um, right. Within, That's exactly yep. right. Yeah, they could That's have infections that I could, that it would you know, that I could affect with the massage therapy. Um, and with something like an acute arthritis where, you know, the joints are swollen and red and, man, I don't want to be messing with that. That's going to make everything worse. You know, the extra yeah. circulation is going to in- bump up that inflammation. You know, certainly never want to massage a dog who has a fracture, even if it's not displaced, oh, oh, you know. Yeah, and, right. Um, even with a pregnancy, you know, I don't want to induce, induce labor, you know, because we do affect them on a hormonal level, you know. So, or even something as simple as after the dog's just had a, a, a big meal, you know. You know, a few snacks is fine if that helps them settle in, you know, if that's how they help start to relax. But a big meal, you know, their blood's in their their GI tract, you know, and that's where it needs to be to digest their food. I don't want to divert it to the leg or the back or, <laughs> I mean, but right. see, these are, these are things that a human massage therapist is not going to consider. So now, training we, is we're, important. We're, oh, my gosh, is it ever. I appreciate that. Now, we are, we're short on time here. About a minute okay. There, so 
I would like to give you an opportunity to speak to everyone that's listening and anything that you would like to convey um, because all of your work is oh. so important. And um, I would, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being here and conveying oh, all this information that you know people don't know or the credibility of it or the importance of it. And for me, the miracle. I mean, the miracles that happen, and this is for me personally and clients and for my experience with you and other practitioners. So um, I'd like for you to tell the world what it is that you'd like to share. We've got oh about goodness. one minute left. <laughs> um, all, all I could say is that, you know, just, just to, it's, it's all about respect, respect for the animals, for who they are, for what they are. Um, it's not about us. It's not about, you know, what we want them to be. It's, it's just all about accepting them for who and what they are. Um, and when people ask me, why would a dog need a massage? You know, my answer is that there are as many reasons to massage that dogs as there are dogs. You know, I, it's, excellent. excellent. Um, Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for being with us, Jan. I can't. Your time is so valuable. And I really, really appreciate everything you brought to our listening audience. And um, I know that it'll be invaluable. I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye then.